I know for me, when I've stepped into new seasons of my life, uh, I have a common experience that happens. And, and I know when I graduated high school, this happened. Uh, when I've had gotten new jobs or maybe moved somewhere or uh, getting married or having kids for the first time, whatever it was, whatever new season I've stepped into, it seems like every single time I met with the common enemy every time. Every time I step into a new season, two things, two common foes are waiting for me at the gate of that season. And maybe you guys have experienced this yourself. Fear and doubt, right? And the enemy, man, it's like he just jumps on it. As soon as we're about to step in, fear and doubt are waiting for us to pounce on us. Whether it be a, a fear of failure, that we're, we're not going to do it, we're, not gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna fail somewhere along the way, we don't have what it takes, or maybe it's a fear of rejection and abandonment, the fear of, of man, people's approval or opinions, or, or it's doubt, that inner critic, you guys all know, right? We all have that inner critic, and it's louder than any outer critic out here on the inside saying, oh, you're not good enough, you don't have what it takes, whatever it is, and that voice just constantly comes in. As soon as we're about to step into that season, boom, the enemy pounces on us, and fear and doubt are there waiting for us to grab hold of us. Why do you think that is? Why is the devil so insistent upon meeting us in our new season with fear and doubt? I think the truth of the matter is this. When we believe God and we have faith in him and we trust in his presence in our life and we trust in his counsel and direction and his wisdom and we believe like a child, just complete faith in the Lord, we're unstoppable. The enemy can't do anything. When we believe God, his hands are tied. And I truly believe he is afraid of someone that's full of faith. The enemy is afraid when we're able to believe God without any hesitation. When we're able to trust him, no matter what we face. Because just like Jesus said, when the man with the demon-possessed son came to him, and his disciples tried to cast out the demon, and they couldn't do it, and the, the father came to Jesus and he says, if you're able to do anything, please help my son. And Jesus replied, if you can believe, all things are possible to them that believe. And then the father says, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Which I believe is something that I've said many times in my life. I believe, help my unbelief. But Jesus said it, anything is possible. To them that believe. He said, you can say to this mountain, be moved, be thrown into the sea. 
when a giant is standing before you and say, you're going down. Why? And that's, it's, not, it's not cockiness in us. It's confidence in our God who is good, who is faithful, and who is able. Amen? So the title of my message today is Crazy Faith. Crazy Faith. Let's pray over the word. Lord Jesus, thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you, God, for examples we have to follow in Scripture. Lord God, for the invitation you give to us. Lord God, to live by faith in you, trusting in you completely. Lord, I just pray that as I speak today, God, any words that come from me, Lord, I just pray that they'll fall to the ground and come to nothing, God. But, but your word, Lord, I pray that that will remain. That'll be good seed planted in good ground and bear fruit in our lives this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, we finished out our series last week. Today, we're going to do a little standalone uh, message. And uh, we're looking at an experience in the Old Testament scripture where we see this very thing happening, right? The, the children of Israel, God's people, were about to enter this new season as a kingdom. They had just gotten a, a king for the first time in their history, King Saul, which he wasn't the greatest of kings, um, and he messed things up pretty quickly. Uh, but they're in this new season, and then this, this group of people, these pagans called the Philistines, rise up and declare war on Israel right as they're stepping into this new season. So let's pick up the story. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 1. It says, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damim between Soko and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. And it goes on to describe Goliath. Basically, in so many words, he was a giant. Like, we all know the story, right? Goliath was a huge beast of a man, a giant, literal giant, and he was a warrior his entire life. Intimidating dude, okay? So look at what happens in verse 8. It says, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul, the king, and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So it's not good when the king is dismayed and terrified. That's not, that things aren't going well, okay? So the king's dismayed and terrified. The people are dismayed and terrified. What's happening? Just like we said, they're stepping into a new season. Immediately, the enemies of our, of our, of our God rise up and they say, hey, send somebody out. Fight me, this giant, this intimidating figure. And what happens? Fear, doubt, grab hold, 
of the people's hearts, including their king. So what do they do? You got, I know you guys know the story. Verse 20, early in the morning, David, little shepherd boy David, left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed his dad. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. I love how they're shouting a war cry to their positions and then they all like run in fear. Um, So they're shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. Isn't that like the enemy? He uses the same tactics over and over and over again. His usual defiance. What is the usual defiance that we hear? You're not enough. It's the same thing every time. You're not enough. You're a failure. This isn't going to work. Look at you. You should be ashamed of yourself. It's the same usual defiance. But yet, I still find myself giving into it. The usual defiance. And David heard it. Everyone else had heard it. But David hears it. He has a different response. But verse 24, whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. I mean, just imagine this. They're drawing up their battle lines, you know what I mean? They're lining up their shields, they're hitting their shields, and the battle array. And then Goliath comes, ah! I mean, that is, that is not good. That's not a good look. Philistines are like, man, this is in the back. These guys, I show up, and they run off. So, verse 26, David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Listen, do you hear David's tone? Who is this? Who is this fool? He should defy the armies of God. Verse 33, what David said was overheard and reported to Saul. Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, he walks into the king, just walks right in, says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Now remember, he's like, he's a teenage boy, right? He's a, he's a young dude. He's a little, little guy, right? And he's like, I'll fight him. This is what Saul says. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. Do you notice the similarities between what the enemy says and what the king says? Saul, the king, his leader, says, you are not able. Now, that's disheartening. When people in our lives maybe even people that we respect, say, you are not able. But does that stop David? Nah. Verse 34, but David said to Saul, 
His king, by the way. Saul's like, no, you're not able. David's like, actually, point up. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. I mean, that is just, that's really cool. I mean, come on. Like, he grabs the lion's mane. Come on. You know, like holding up against a wall or something. Little punk. Grabs the lion's mane, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he's defied the armies of the living God. You notice he didn't say because I will defeat him, because I have great experience, because I've done this. He says, no, he's going to be like the lion and the bear because he's defied the armies of the living God. That's why. Listen, God wants to lead Israel to victory. He wants them to experience the fullness of life that he has for them. But God is looking for someone. He's looking for someone. The Bible says that God searches the earth to and fro to find a faithful man. And actually the verse goes on to say, and he finds none. But he he looks to find a faithful man, someone who is full of faith and not just faith for one moment, consistent faith, that they will consistently believe God. He's looking for someone to partner with. He wants to reconcile. He wants to redeem. He wants to to bring this world back to its original design and purpose, the kingdom of heaven to invade earth. But he's looking for someone to believe. Someone who has faith and might look a little crazy. I mean, David, he looked crazy. Let's be honest. He looked crazy. It's like this teenage boy's like, I will fight him. Everyone's like, okay, yeah, buddy, good job. <laughs> and then, no, really, I will. You're nuts. I mean, his brother, you know, Eliab said that. He's like, bro, you've got problems. You're like too zealous, okay? Just calm down. Calm down, you're going to get yourself killed. Okay, son? But he believed God. And it seemed like God found his man. And we see this time and time throughout history. God looking for someone who will champion him and say, he is able. Not me. He is Come on, let's believe him. And we see it. Jesus even did this. In the New Testament, Jesus constantly invited his disciples to live out this kind of faith, this kind of little crazy faith. Okay, look at, look at Matthew 21, verse 18. I said 13. Look at verse 13. What is that? What is that? Okay. It's because the first first word of the verse is early. I was was reading the verse, okay. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Jesus got hungry, guys. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. And we see that he was, he might've been a little hangry because look at the next verse. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. I think Jesus was really hungry. Immediately the tree 
withered. Okay, just, just imagine this. Immediately, Jesus goes up to a tree, lush, green, beautiful, except it didn't have fruit, made him upset. Let no one eat fruit from you ever again, and then immediately it withers up. Can you imagine watching that? Like, wh- what? Like, what? Look at his disciples. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. Of course, because it's impossible. How did the fig tree wither so quickly? They asked. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, hey, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. And that is a, that is huge. I mean, the context is pretty clear. He does something impossible. He says, guys, this is, this is normal. If you believe, you don't doubt, you can do more than just this. You can say to a mountain, be moved. Now, did they ever say to mountains later, be moved and be guessed? No, but it was an illustration. He was giving a point. Like, this is nothing for me, guys. Nothing. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. And then look at Jesus' first commands to his disciples, his followers. Insane faith, crazy stuff. Look at this, Matthew chapter 10. So Jesus had some guys, they're following him for a while, maybe a year or so into his ministry, maybe less. And he chooses his 12, who's going to be his 12 disciples. So he picks out the 12, and then he's going to send them out to minister, to do what he was doing, right? So he's going to send them out to to go minister. So verse 7, chapter 10, he says, As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Okay, cool, great. And then also just, I mean, 101, we'll start with the basics here. Uh, Verse 8, heal the sick, uh, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and cast out demons. Okay? Freely you've received, freely give. Oh, also, don't bring any money with you or a change of clothes Anything like that, not even a walking stick, because God's going to provide. All right? Following Jesus 101. Yeah, isn't that nuts? The first thing he says, he's like, okay, so all I'm going to ask you to do is very simple, very basic stuff, guys. We're going to get to the harder stuff later. Uh, Just heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, okay? Uh, Simple stuff, just, uh, and then uh, the student. Uh, Yes, Mr. Christ? Yeah. Um, How? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, I forgot. Simple, uh, f- freely you receive, freely give. Oh, yeah, freely you receive, freely. I mean, I mean, that is crazy. And then what's even crazier than that is they went and did it. They said, okay. And they went. No one questioned it. Sounds like they had some crazy faith. Even, even his rebukes, with the few times when he would rebuke his disciples, they had to do with a lack of faith. Mark 16, 14, those, these returned and reported it to the rest, talking about his resurrection, that they saw Jesus. But the other disciples did not believe them either. So this is the 12, didn't believe, even though Jesus said, I'm going to raise from the dead three days later. 
Verse 14, later Jesus appeared to the 11 as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And then you have the story of Jesus on the boat in the storm, right? So they're out on the Sea of Galilee. It's the middle of the night. This huge storm comes up. Waves are coming crashing against the boat, lightning and thunder. I'm just, I'm kind of painting a picture. All right, rain's coming down, and Jesus is asleep. That's just crazy to me. How does he, how does he sleep through this? He was had a rough day. So he's asleep in the boat, and, there's, and waves are crashing over the sides of the boat to the point where the disciples think they're going to die. Okay, this is intense. We're going to drown. We're going to die. They go to Jesus. In verse 26, the disciples went and woke him. He hadn't woken up yet saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown! Exclamation points. I'm reading it the way it says it, okay? He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? What's funny is he didn't have an exclamation point after his. He just said, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? And I'm sure they're like, because we don't want to die, you know. And then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves. And it was completely calm. Jesus does it again. Why do you have such a little faith? Peace be still. Okay, I'm going back to bed, guys. So we see when Jesus is choosing his champions, when he's choosing his disciples, he's looking for someone who would believe. David was a youth with no experience or skill in battle. All he had was faith. Because Jesus prioritized faith over competency. He wasn't looking for the smartest, the most influential, the most popular, the most put together, the coolest people, the best looking. He wasn't looking for that. Look at the people that he chose as disciples, tax collectors, Fishermen, they were, most scholars believe they were young guys, like David, kind of young bucks, right? I mean, James and John were called the sons of thunder for a reason, okay? They, they asked Jesus if he could call down fire from heaven and burn up the people that weren't following him. I, that's, that's, a, <laughs> that's a very foolish thing to ask, right? So, these are the people he chose. The people that he chose to give the responsibility of establishing his kingdom on the earth. These people, the people that he chose that would literally turn the world upside down. Acts describes them as uneducated and untrained men. But they go on to describe his disciples in the book of Acts that it was obvious that they had been with Jesus. They weren't the smartest, weren't the strongest, weren't the most skilled, but they'd been with Jesus. And they believed. And they had faith in him. 1 Corinthians 1.26, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Poor Corinthians. Paul's being brutal. <laughs> Not many of you were wise by human standards. 
Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. David's boast was in the Lord, not in himself. Jesus isn't looking for the most wise or influential or noble. He's looking for someone who will believe. And a mustard seed, he said it himself, a mustard seed is all it takes to change the world. So the question is, can we believe when everything is pitted against us? When the deck is stacked against us? When everything around us, all of our circumstances, maybe even people that we respect in our lives are saying, you are not able. Can we believe God? Can we have that kind of crazy faith? So how do we cultivate it? How do we cultivate this this crazy faith we're talking about? Number one, our view of God has to be bigger than our doubts. Our view of God has to be bigger than our doubts. And I know you guys have experienced this. The more life we live, the more doubts can pile up. You know what I mean? You You live more life, you have experiences of hardship, of loss, of grief, and doubts kind of start piling up. And any time we experience something hard, the devil's right there to invest and deposit a seed of doubt. Every time we experience hardship, doubt, 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 doubt. That's what the enemy wants to do, sow doubt, sow fear into us. More and more and more, and they pile up in our lives a lot of times unconsciously. And then we find ourselves saying things like this, I've done it myself. Sure, God could do this, but dot, dot, dot. God could do this, but I've experienced this. God could do this, but God is able. I mean, God's God, you know, he can do anything. But, and over time, the enemy's deposit, deposited all these doubts and he pulls them up anytime God's asking us to believe. He says, hey, remember this doubt? Remember this? Remember this? You can't trust that. Because remember this happened? Because he wants to strip us of our most powerful resource and that's faith in God. But you see people in scripture who had crazy faith, they experienced the same hardships that we do. Maybe worse, in fact, a lot of them much worse than we do. But what do you see different? What do we see in them? They have this trump card that they play every time the enemy comes up. It's like, ah, but look at this doubt. Look at this doubt. They say, oh yeah, that's true. Um, but God, like that's the trump card. But, um, but God. So like whatever you have to say, but him. Abraham, right? Uh, Yeah, sure, I'm supposed to sacrifice my one and only son who's gonna be the heir of the promise. But God will provide a sacrifice. 
Joseph. Yeah, I've been sold into slavery by my brothers and rejected and beaten, and now I'm a slave in Egypt. And, and also, I'm hearing this dream that I have no experience interpreting dreams, but, Pharaoh, God will give you an answer. Moses leads the children of Israel out to the Red Sea, and there's no way of escape. Sure, I've led you to a place where we can't escape the Egyptian army that's coming after us, and we have no way to defend ourselves at all. And we could be massacred, but God will save us. Stand and watch the salvation of our God. David, sure, was a Philistine giant. Years of experience in warfare. And I'm just a shepherd boy. It's a sling and a stone. But God will strike you down today. What do they have in common? It's number two. They saw the world through the eyes of their heart. They saw the world. They had eyes to see like a child and to believe God no matter what. Children see the world through their hearts, right? They'll they'll trust anything you say. You tell them, and it's kind of fun, you know, when you're a parent, and they do that, and, like, it's, it's really cute. But they kind of trust whatever. They'll believe whatever you tell them. You know, they just, sure, yeah, I, get, I can fly. Oh, I can fly. All right. You got to be careful what you tell kids, okay? But they'll believe anything. They're just open. I mean, it's like the, the, the elf from the Santa Claus, you know, the movie Julie. Remember Julie who made the shaken, not stirred hot chocolate for, anyways. Um, she said... Believing isn't seeing, or sorry, sorry, wrong. Seeing isn't believing, believing is seeing, right? These kids don't have to see this place to know that it's here. They just know, right? They just have this faith in their heart. Look at what Jesus said about kids. Luke 18, verse 16, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. It belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Wow. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child won't enter it. It's required for you to have faith like a child. And you see this vision, this ability to see the world from the heart with the heroes of faith. Hebrews eleven thirteen. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They saw the promise of God, even though they weren't gonna see it happen in their own life, but they were able to believe because they had eyes to see what God saw. And they were able to believe him no matter what else was in the way. No matter what obstacles, what mountains, or what giants stood in their way, they could look past that and see the promise of God and believe it and have unshakable faith. They had eyes to see. Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know. Know with assurance. Be confident that you may know the hope of your calling, that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, that you may know 
his incomparably great power for us who believe. You may see the world through the eyes of your heart. David did. His heart's eyes were opened and he could see things that no one else could. When he heard what Goliath said, he had a different response because he saw things differently, didn't he? He believed. So eyes to see. What did he have eyes to see? Three things. David had eyes to see who God is. Trusting in his goodness and steadfast love. 17 verse 37, David said this, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. He said, God is a God who rescues. His love for me is steadfast. It is confident. He is good and I know he will come through. And so he said it. He rescued me before. He's going to do it again. And then he had eyes to see what God had done trusting in his constancy and faithfulness, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that he is constant and he is faithful and he is true. And he said it. He said, he did it before. He rescued me before and he'll do it again. David looked back and then had faith for the future. He looked back at what God had done, remembered that, and then had faith for the future. The enemy wants us to look back, see our doubts, and have fear for the future. We have to look back, but what are we looking at? Are we looking at his cards, the enemy's cards, his doubts that he holds up? Or are we looking back at the faithfulness of God and having faith for our future and hope for our future? And then number three, he had eyes to see how God does it, trusting in his incomparably great power. So let's pick up the story. Verse 45, David, finally King Saul's like, all right, sure, go out there, try it out. No one else wants to do it. I don't want to do it. You do it. So David runs out to the battlefield, ready to go. And Goliath curses him in the name of his gods and curses his God And listen what David says in verse 45. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord, and he will give all of you into our hands. Picks up a stone, puts it in the sling. Whoop, 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 pew. Goliath falls down dead. Boom, one hit, over. David comes up, does what he says it will do. Chops off the head, really gross, holds it up. And then the Philistine army runs. They run for their lives. And the whole army of God suddenly has courage. One man chose to believe, and he filled a nation with courage and faith. And they defeated the Philistines and plundered their camp. So the question is, are we looking with our eyes 
Are we looking with our heart? Are we seeing what God sees? Are we seeing that he is faithful, constant, good, loving, powerful, able? It only takes a mustard seed of faith to believe that God is good, faithful, and able when we see him clearly. It only takes a mustard seed when we see him for who he really is. Because it's not hard to believe that that God is able. Amen? We see him for who he is. It's not hard to believe. I mean, for David, it wasn't hard. He was like, oh, yeah, obviously, God's got this. It was, it was obvious for him. This is easy for him. He had that kind of faith. That God is willing, constant, and powerful. Isaiah 26.3 says, He who sets his mind, whose mind is stayed on you, you will give him perfect peace. David's mind was on the Lord. Joseph's mind was on the Lord. Abraham's mind was on the Lord. Moses' mind was on the Lord. Their mind was set on him. And he gave him perfect peace. In the face of impossible odds, he had the peace of God. When we fix our minds on Jesus and on the picture of who he is in truth, then we can sleep on the boat in the storm. We can walk on the water and not look at the waves when our mind is stayed on Jesus. I want to close with this. Um, I want to have this kind of faith. I want to. It's hard. There's a lot of doubts stacked up. The enemy is well equipped with his usual defiance. But I want to believe, I want to have audacious faith and trust God. It's a choice. It's a choice to believe. We have to choose to believe that God is who he says he is, that he's done what he says he's, he would, he's done, and that he is able, he is powerful. So to the best of my ability, by the grace of God, I'm going to try and believe everything I see God doing in the word. I want to believe that God is going to pour out his spirit on his church I want to believe that God is going to do signs and wonders and miracles and he's going to heal. And I want to believe that people are going to come to know Christ in the droves, that people, prodigal sons and daughters are going to come home to their heavenly father. I want to believe that God is going to break addictions and bondage and set the captives free. I want to believe that God is going to mend broken hearts. I want to believe that families that are broken are going to be restored. I want to believe that marriages are going to be healed. I want to believe that sons and daughters are going to be raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I want to believe that the presence of God is going to fill this temple and these temples the glory of God will fill the temple of his church and that the world will taste and see that he is good. That's what I want to believe.
and I'm going to cry out like the father did. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Will I believe perfectly? No, I will not. I'm going to have moments, I know, of doubt. But then I'm going to let God pick me up again set my eyes back on to Jesus and step back out on the water. So my question for you all today is this, what is God asking you to believe? What is God asking you to believe? And what is our response? For you graduates, what what is God asking you to believe? We're going to respond in worship, but this is what I want us to do. Everyone just bow your your heads right here where you're at. Close your eyes. Just ask God the question, God, what are you asking me to believe? Maybe you don't know. Maybe you immediately, you you know immediately, immediately popped into your head because the enemy's been trying to, to sow seeds of doubt for this thing. And so you know. Maybe you don't. Ask God, God, what are you asking me to believe? Holy Spirit, we open up our ears to hear from you. Lord, we want to have crazy faith. We want to believe everything that you say, everything that you do. Lord, I ask God that you speak to us this morning. What are you asking us to Lord, I ask that you give us courage to say yes, to choose to believe you, God. Even if everything around us, everything we've experienced in our past, whatever it is, even if everything is stacked against us, Lord Jesus, give us grace. Help our faith. Fill us with your faith, God. Help us see you for who you are. You are good, you are faithful, and you are able. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet? We're going to close in a time of worship. Let's just worship Jesus.
We trust you completely, God. Trust you alone. Lord, may our confidence overwhelmingly be in your favor. And Lord, let us look at the past, see your faithfulness, and have faith for our future. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. We appreciate you. We'll see you next week. Have a great Sunday.